energy so stalling, yeah. Everybody's running scared. We used to be so carefree, we used to be so happy, used to have everything we need. Welcome to Village Mentality, where melanated people are connected in spirit, love, and community. What's up, kings and queens, beautiful people everywhere? It's your girl, C.K. McGee, and I am your host.
Hey there, beautiful people. How's everyone doing? I pray that you're all doing as well as you can be. Happy New Year to one and to all. And I would like to thank Pentatonics for their rendition of Old Lang Zion. Welcome to another episode of Village Mentality. I'm so glad as always to have you all here with me in the village. Now, if you did not have an opportunity to hear last week's episode and all other episodes, then I invite you to catch up. And you can do so with Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Anchor, or Radio Public. And I also provide links to each episode on Instagram and Facebook, and I'll share those links with you at the end of the episode. Now, you know that every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you are more than welcome to join me right here in the village as I talk about different topics that impact us as BIPOC communities. And of course, there will also be times when I'll talk about self-care practices that can help to rejuvenate your spirit and soul so that you can continue to be the fantabulous kings and queens that you most definitely are. And I'll be right here to remind you all each and every week. Now, all of the topics that are discussed here on my show will be looked at through a mental health perspective, which is at the heart of everything that I talk about on the podcast. Now, I wanna give you guys an update. I spoke a few weeks ago about a campaign between Mental Health America and Walgreens, and it was called the Swear Jar. And for every donation that was made, it was supposed to be matched in order to raise as much as possible in order to continue to provide very much needed resources and support for those in need of mental health services. Well, thanks to all of the donations, over $350,000 was raised. Thank you, it's so wonderful. And I know that I am personally grateful for all who were able to give. Now, without further ado, I believe that it's time for me to take my first walk of the evening to my musical jukebox. Now, this first song of the evening was released by this American band as the first single from their 12th album. It was the band's first and only single to reach number one on the US Billboard Hot 100. Now get this, in 2021, the Library of Congress selected this song for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Now co-founder Ronald Bell, the group's saxophonist and musical arranger, explained the origins of the song. He says, quote, the initial idea came from the Quran. I was reading the passage where God was creating Adam and the angels were celebrating and singing praises. That inspired me to write the basic chords, the line, everyone around the world, come on. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but I was thinking that what better way for us to start this year off <laughs> than to be with Cool in the Gang, who always made me at least want to get up and celebrate. Here is Cool in the Gang with Celebration.
Now that was the American vocal group, the Pointer Sisters with Jump For My Love, which was released on April 11th, 1984. And it was their third single from their 10th studio album, Breakout in 1983. The song hit the top 10 in Billboard's Hot 100, R&B and dance charts. And it was the best-selling American dance single of 1984. And it was sold as a trio of songs, which included I Need You and Automatic. The song scored global chart success and remains a classic by this group of sisters in real life who were awarded the 1985 Grammy Award for best pop performance by a duo or group with vocal. Well, Village, you know me. I like to take a bit of time to talk about some things, whether it be about current events, entertainment, or something that's just on my mind. So why don't we get into my segment called Let's Talk About It. I would like to acknowledge the passing of Bishop Desmond Tutu, who was a South African Anglican bishop and theologian known for his work as an anti-apartheid and human rights activist. He was Bishop of Johannesburg from 1985 to 1986, and then became Archbishop of Cape Town from 1986 to 1996. And in both cases, he was the first black African to hold a position. Now, before y'all be like, what? Black African. Remember, we are talking about the continent of Africa, and there are white Africans as well. So that's why we make that distinction. Now, theologically, he sought to fuse ideas from Black theology 
with African theology. He was born of mixed Isosa and Matswana heritage to a poor family in Clerkstock, South Africa. And once entering adulthood, he trained as a teacher. He married his wife in 1955, with whom he had four children. And in 1960, he was ordained as an Anglican priest. In 1962, he moved to the United Kingdom to study uh, theology, excuse me, at King's College in London. And in 1966, he returned to Africa, teaching at the Federal Theological Seminary in South Africa, and then the University of Botswana, Lesotho, and Swaziland. In 1972, he became the Theological Education Funds Director for Africa, a position based in London, but necessitating regular tours of the African continent. In 1978 to 85, he served as the General Secretary of South African Council of Churches. Now he emerged as one of the most prominent opponents of South Africa's apartheid system of racial segregation and white minority rule. And although warning the National Party government that anger at apartheid would lead to racial violence, as an activist, he stressed nonviolent protest, along with foreign economic pressure to bring about universal suffrage. Now, as I mentioned, he was the Archbishop of Cape Town, which was the most senior position in Southern Africa's Anglican hierarchy. And in this position, he emphasized a consensus building model of leadership and oversaw the introduction of female priests. Also in 1986, he became president of the All Africa Conference of Churches, resulting in further tours of the continent. After President F.W. de Klerk released the anti-apartheid act, uh, activist Nelson Mandela from prison in 1990, the pair led negotiations to end apartheid and introduce multiracial democracy. He also assisted as a mediator between rival Black factions. After the 1994 general election, which resulted in a coalition government headed by Mandela, the latter selected the bishop to chair the Truth and Reconciliation Commission to investigate past human, uh, excuse me, human rights abuses, which were committed by both pro and anti-apartheid groups. He was very popular among South Africa's black majority and was internationally praised for his work involving anti-apartheid activism, for which he won the Nobel Peace Prize as well as other international awards. There is so much information about this exceptional human. And as always, I encourage you all to just read about him. Rest well, King, and thank you for all that you did to make this world a better place. So beautiful people, for those of you who have been tuning into the show from the beginning, and I'm talking back to when I had a co-host, I have spoken to you, Village, about this man before. His name, Purvis Payne, and he has spent more than three decades on death row for two murders he says he did not commit. He was sentenced to death in the state of Tennessee. Well, recently, a Tennessee judge vacated the death sentences. Yes! vacated him, honey. What a journey Purvis Payne has been on, right? 
and they were vacated due to the inmate's ability to finally prove his intellectual disability, right? So for those of you familiar with the case, I'm gonna go ahead and recap. And for those who may be new to listening, um, here's some information for you about the case. Now, he was convicted in 1987 of the murders of 28-year-old Sharice Christopher and her two-year-old daughter who were fatally stabbed in an attack at their apartment in Millington, a Memphis suburb. He received two death sentences after being convicted on two counts of first-degree murder, as well as assault with intent to commit first-degree murder of Christopher's three-year-old son who actually survived the attack. Now, he has spent years, as I mentioned, to establish his claim of intellectual disability as a reason why he shouldn't be executed. Now, it's not just his claim, but according to the U.S. Supreme Court, which ruled in 2002 in Atkins versus Virginia, that it is unconstitutional to execute someone with an intellectual disability. But Payne, whose attorneys say that he has a functional IQ of 68, was able to make his case when Tennessee governor uh, recognized the need to, I don't know, sign into law a new legislation this very year at last, which changed the state's definition of an intellectual disability. And it establishes a procedure for death row inmates claiming to have a disability to appeal their sentences. Now the office of Shelby County District Attorney, Amy Wyrick announced recently that it was filing a petition to remove Payne's death sentences after acknowledging that a state expert had examined him and, quote, could not say that Payne's intellectual functioning is outside the range of intellectual disability. Shelby County Judge Paula Scahan wrote in an order filed recently that Payne's petition is, quote, supported by two opinions, concluding that petitioner is intellectually disabled pursuant to Tennessee law, as well as the decisions of the United States Supreme Court. And a judge ruled last year that evidence in the case be DNA tested, which had been an ongoing issue. And according to statements from Payne's attorneys, the results show male DNA from an unknown third party, which were also found on the murder weapon. However, the, D the DNA is too degraded to identify an alternate suspect, excuse me, you guys, <laughs> excuse me, via the FBI's database, according to his attorney. Now, as a result, it wasn't enough to exonerate him, right? You know, so they've been unable to obtain other evidence like fingernail scraping from the victim or DNA testing. So... While I feel like I can breathe a sigh of relief that Purvis will not be executed, um, you know, there is still a chance to prove his innocence, but there's still a lot of work to do regarding that, right? And a resentencing hearing, it has been scheduled for January 24th, when the judge is expected to decide whether Payne should serve the two life sentences concurrently, like his idea like his attorneys want, and then of course consecutively, which is what the DA wants. And I was just wondering, have you all ever seen the movie Malcolm X, right? Well, if you have, it's there's a point in the movie where Malcolm, who's played by Denzel Washington, and his friend, played by Spike Lee, 
are in the court facing charges pertaining to the robberies that they were convicted of in Boston. And the judge is reading off all the charges that have been, you know, that they've been found guilty of. And at the end, he tells the men that their sentence will be served concurrently. And remember how Spike Lee's character faints? Well, you hear Malcolm X say that he had to explain what concurrently meant to his friend because his friend thought they were going to be incarcerated forever. When in reality, if I remember correctly, they were sentenced to 10 years. And in this case, we will see how that turns out for Purvis Payne. And as always, Village, I will be sure to keep you posted. January is Mental Wellness Month, and during this month, we're promoting overall mental wellness. That's the goal. And mental wellness is about how all aspects of your life, the social, emotional, physical, spiritual, and intellectual, all come together for an overall state of well-being. One of the things that is important to me in my mental health advocacy is to bring awareness. Now, mental health and wellness affect all aspects of our lives, and it helps determine how we act, feel, and think. It affects our ability to handle stress, connect to other people, and to make decisions. It's important to improve our mental wellness, right, in any way that we can. And in some ways, it can be as simple as laughing or having a positive attitude. Now, Interim Inc. is the only agency in Monterey County, Monterey County in the state of California, that provides affordable housing, residential treatment, social support, homeless outreach, and supported education and employment services for adults that have serious mental illnesses. Now, they have offered some tips that can help to provide, um, you know, everyone some help in ways that they can improve their mental wellness. But let me just add this. These are just suggestions and recommendations, right? Ways that we can maintain our mental wellness on a daily basis because we all need to take care of our mental health. But if you or someone that you know are in crisis, please be sure to contact the NAMI helpline at 1-800-950-6264. They take calls Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or you can call 1-800-273-8255 to reach a 24-hour crisis center available through the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Or you can text MHA to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor from a crisis text line. Okay, so it's important that we learn how to take care of our mental health on a daily basis because it's a part of our overall health. And so here are some of the tips that they recommend. We can develop a positive attitude, right? People with positive attitudes are happier, they're more successful and better able to handle crisis and stress. And in concert with a positive attitude, also have an attitude of gratitude for what you have instead of dwelling on what you don't. Have you ever tried to do that? Like if you are feeling down and I've experienced this, 
in my own personal journey, you can be feeling really down and out about things. Something might have happened, right? And you're feeling depressed, you're feeling sad, you're feeling kind of overwhelmed by life circumstances. <clears throat> but then you take an opportunity and you start thinking about all the things that are good, all the things that you should be grateful for, especially when you think about others who may not have what you do. I guarantee you, you start doing that. You start thinking about what you're thankful for, what you're blessed in, a roof over your head, clothes on your back, things like that. And it does help. It really does. We have to learn to avoid negative self-talk. Learn to be thankful for the good rather than focusing on the negative issues. And also listen to what it is that you're telling yourself, right? Oftentimes we are also, we're also careful with how we speak to others, but not so much when it comes to ourselves, right? So we need to avoid negative self-talk. View a crisis situation as an opportunity, right? Creative problem solving can expand your options. Try to make a list of good things that could result from the problem you're having to solve, right? Laugh. Humor is a great stress reducer. Studies indicate that laughter can make you healthier. Exercise. I know it's not always easy, but exercise is simple as a walk, you guys. You don't have to like kill yourself in the gym. Just get out and walk, right? Regular exercise increases energy and releases brain biochemicals to ward off depression and anxiety. I mean, a 15-minute walk a day can help your body and soul feel better, right? Improve your diet. During times of stress, you tend to skip meals or eat junk food. Now a diet rich in fruit, vegetables, and fiber will help you maintain the physical and mental stress you need to deal with in the situation, right? So, um, you know, the junk food, we call it comfort food. I'm guilty of doing that, you know? But at the end of the day, what you'll find is you'll make yourself feel even worse at the end, right? So if we can do things to promote a healthier diet for our bodies, um, it does definitely benefit us, right? And it's not always an easy thing to do, but something that we need to be mindful of and slowly but surely, you know, make that change, right? Get enough rest. Now, this might be difficult for somebody who, you know, deals with depression because one of the symptoms can be a lack of sleep, you know, um, insomnia. Um, sleep disturbances are common during stress, you know, sleepless nights, worrying about this, worrying about that. But it too can affect us in a negative way. So we want to do the best that we can, make whatever efforts we need to, to provide an environment around us where we can um, sleep, you know, whether or not the temperature of the room is an issue or turning off the TV, getting your face out of your devices, whatever it is, let's do our best to get the sleep that we need so that we can rejuvenate our minds and our bodies, right? And you can ask for help if you feel overwhelmed. I know asking for help is hard. I don't like to ask for help. I don't, because oftentimes when you ask for help, you know, you feel like it's some kind of a weakness or that it says something bad about you. But in all actuality, asking for help is a strength of character, right? And you have some idea, I think, in your lives who's in your orbit, 
you know who you can go to for help that will actually help you, that will actually support you without judgment or criticism. So go to that person. Go to those people who make you feel like it's okay to ask for help without being degraded or minimized or dismissed when you do, right? Help can be just a phone call away. So here are those numbers that I gave you a little bit earlier. Again, the NAMI helpline is 1-800-950-6264. And they take calls, again, from Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or you can call 1-800-273-8255 to reach a 24-hour crisis center available through the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Or you can simply text M as in Mary, H-A, to 741-741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor from the crisis text line. And that's all month long. Now, I'm going to be bringing awareness all month long as to how we can manage our mental health and wellness, right? And I hope that you know, these recommendations, these suggestions um, will help you because I too am taking it in as I'm talking to you, I'm talking to myself, right? I always want to make that clear. As I'm talking to you, I'm also talking to myself. So here's to brighter days. When I first heard that Betty White had transitioned, I was in the midst of working on something else when a post about her passing literally hit me like a ton of bricks. I was absolutely stunned. And there was a moment of utter disbelief. And in times like that, I find myself hopping off social media and right onto Google or some other search engine to confirm. And I couldn't even type the B-E in her name before it popped up that yes, our golden girl was gone. I had been hearing about her upcoming 100th birthday as I'm sure you all have. And it was unbelievable to think that 10 years had passed from all of her celebrity friends who celebrated her 90th birthday. For all my life, there's always been Betty White. And there are just some people that you can't help but think will just live forever. And she, in my mind, was one of those people. She was one of the best examples of the term nice nasty in the epic way in which she delivered her lines from the Mary Tyler Moore show, where she played the role of Sue Ann Nivens, to one of her most cherished roles as Rose Nyland from Minnesota, who was as naive as they came and who never missed an opportunity to tell a story about her beloved St. Olaf. <laughs> and you better think, if you were one of her roommates, at least on the show, Dorothy, Blanche, and Sophia, that if you were going to walk away and not listen to her St. Olaf stories, mm, well, she was going to find a way to make you listen, right? And then all the way up to her role as Elka Ostrowski on Hot in Cleveland. Now, now, no matter what show she was on, left an indelible mark that can never be forgotten. She had comedic timing and she was considered a pioneer of television with a career spanning seven decades. Now that's a long time. 
She was among the first women to exert control both in front of and behind the camera, and the first woman to produce a sitcom, which was called Life with Elizabeth. She was at one time called the Honorary Mayor of Hollywood back in 1955, and she is often referred to as the First Lady of Television, a title which was used for a 2018 documentary detailing her life and career. Throughout her life, she appeared on many game shows, including Match Game, Tattletales, To Tell the Truth, Hollywood Squares, The $25,000 Pyramid, and Password, a game show whose host would later be said by her, 18 years of marriage and his passing in 1981 at the age of 63 from stomach cancer, that he was the love of her life, her husband, Alan Ludden. So it would only make sense that she was also dubbed the first lady of game shows. She also made appearances on several television shows, including one of my soaps, The Bold and the Beautiful. She was such a great sport in the 2010 Snickers Super Bowl commercial, where you see her surrounded by men playing football in a very muddy conditions. And they did not take it easy on her, both by tackling her like she was a man and criticizing her lack of energy while she was playing the game. In the commercial, she's referred to as Mike and her teammate wants to know what's her deal. And she says, oh, come on, you've been riding me all day. And to that, the response is, well, you're playing like Betty White out there. To which she then says, that's not what your girlfriend said. <laughs> now, the other fellas on the team step in to quote unquote, break up a possible fight while Mike is offered a Snickers bar. And when Mike takes a bite, you're able to see that Mike is now all better as a result of eating Snickers. To this day, that commercial makes me chuckle. And as a result of it, new generations of fans launched a Facebook campaign wanting her to host Saturday Night Live, and it worked. She became the oldest person to host SNL at the age of 88. Now, if you knew her, you knew that she was head over heels in love with animals, and she was a staunch supporter. She was a fierce supporter of humans, too, which is something that I have to say I've rarely seen. You know, a person who's both passionate about animals and humans. Usually, it seems an either-or situation, but not for her. She supported members of the LGBTQ plus community. And in 1954, in a time where segregation was at the forefront of American issues, Betty White rejected attempts to keep a Black dancer off her show. The dancer was Arthur Duncan, and he was featured on The Betty White Show, and it aired in the 1950s. Now, when she was encouraged to take him off because of the color of his skin, she politely declined. And she said, quote, I'm sorry, but you know, he stays, unquote. Now, Kings and Queens, I want you to think for a moment. This was before Emmett Till and Rosa Parks, before the start of the civil rights movement. She was showing what true allyship looks like. And Duncan told Steve Harvey in 2017 that Betty White gave him his first job on TV. He said, quote, I was on the show and they had some letters out of Mississippi and elsewhere that some of the stations would not carry the show if I was permitted to stay on there. She continued to resist the pressure from stations in the South 
and used Duncan even more until the show ended up being canceled in 1954, the same year that segregation in public schools was declared unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, Duncan went on to have a illustrious career in show business, and he gained fame for being the first Black performer on the Lawrence Welk show. Over 60 years later, Betty White and Duncan were reunited on Little Big Shots, Forever Young, which was hosted by Steve Harvey. And to Duncan's surprise, because he didn't know that he was going to see Betty White there. When Steve Harvey asked Mr. Duncan what he thought about seeing Betty White again, he joked, quote, God, I think I'm ready to go now, unquote. At one time, Betty White was offered an anchor position by NBC on their flagship breakfast television show today. But she turned it down because she did not want to move permanently to New York City. The job eventually went to Barbara Walters. She was multi-dimensional as a human being. And I even heard it said once that if she wanted to, she could have been a very successful dramatic actress because her talent was so great that she was the least directed person. She had a gift and she shared it for decades with the world. Sometimes laughter is one of the most powerful ways to get through painful moments in our lives. It also helps us in some cases to take a very much needed look at ourselves in the way that we think and in the way that we treat others. But despite how great she may have made people feel, you know that there's always someone, right? Who may not be so fond of you. And this was the case with her co-star from The Golden Girls, the author. Betty would often say, quote, she was not that fond of me and that she found me a pain in the neck sometimes. It was my positive attitude and that made me mad sometimes. Sometimes if I was happy, she'd be furious, unquote. Now, after B. Arthur's death in 2009, White said, quote, I knew it would hurt, but I just didn't know it would hurt this much, unquote. Despite their differences, the Golden Girls was a positive experience for both actresses and they had great mutual respect for the show, their roles, and the achievements made as an ensemble cast author would often insist on waiting to leave for lunch until all four, she, Betty White, Rue McClanahan, and Estelle Getty had finished their work so that they could all leave together. There is so much that could be said about Betty White because there was just so much that she did and so many lives that she touched, including our animal friends. The best thing that I can say to her as we mourn her passing and celebrate her transition is that I hope that your husband, Alan, had a big smile and open arms for you and that all of your co-stars that went on before you greeted you with happiness and joy. Rest well, Queen, and thank you for being a friend.
ever thought about the traditions of people around the world when it comes to bringing in the new year? Well, I have. And it's said that anyone who makes, for instance, a, a dish of black-eyed peas, pork and rice on January 1st, will experience luck and peace for the rest of the year, and maybe some prosperity too. According to History.com, Hoppin' John was and still is often eaten with collard greens, which can resemble paper money, and golden cornbread. Now the peas themselves represent coins, and some families boost the potential of their Hoppin' John by placing a penny underneath the ditches or adding extra pork, which is thought to bring more luck, right? That's kind of interesting. You know, because New Year's Eve is, is it's like beyond just making resolutions, which I personally don't do anymore, but I know a lot of people do. And I just thought it would be interesting to kind of look at some of the different traditions, you know, all over the world when bringing in the New Year. Now, many cultures believe eating round foods on New Year's Eve will lead to um, prosperity. In Italy, for instance, lentils in a New Year's dish serve the same function as the black-eyed peas in Hop and John, with their round shape representing coins. And in the Philippines, it's customary to eat 12 round fruits, one for each month, to ensure a year of abundance. The fruits usually take center stage at the table for the medianoche or the midnight meal. And also in the Philippines, revelers don't just try to eat circles, partygoers wear them too. Polka dots are all the rage on December 31st, increasing the chances, the chances for a fortunate new year. Brazil makes it easier to choose your New Year's Eve outfit because everyone just wears white for good luck and peace. Plus, they believe that matching outfits make for good photos. Fish is considered another good New Year's Eve entree since fish only swim in one direction, forward, like the movement of time. And in Denmark, broken dishes are a good thing. People go around breaking dishware on the doorsteps of their friends and families. The more shards there are in front of your home the next day, the luckier and more well-liked you are, unless you're the one who has to sweep. But let's just try to keep it on the doorstep, shall we? <laughs> now, if you want to read more about these traditions, you can check out the 35 year uh, New Year traditions to bring you luck from around the world from our friends at goodhousekeeping.com. Now, whatever your traditions may or may not be, I wish you all the best in 2022 and beyond. Now this next song comes from their, their eighth studio album by this very talented American musician. This is his eighth album, which I am like, really? I didn't know. This album has earned this artist a total of eight nominations, including Album of the Year at the 64th Annual Grammy Awards, which is coming up. The album's lyrical and thematic content reflects such events as the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and his involvement in 2020 leading Black Lives Matter protests in New York after the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. The album also features Mavis Staples, Zadie Smith, PJ Morton, and Trombone Shorty. 
Speaking to At War, um, excuse me, Atwood Magazine, this artist described We Are, the name of the album, as a representation of John genreless music, right? No particular genre, just music that's focused on telling the story and also accumulation of its life to this point. Well, here's a song from that very same album that I first noticed on Facebook and immediately it made me feel free to dance and just be myself. Here's John Baptiste, the musical director on The Late Night Show with Stephen Colbert with his song, Freedom. about a dancer's ambition to succeed was thought by writers of the song to act as a metaphor for achieving any dream that a person has. The song was part of a soundtrack album, and with the movie being set to be released in mid-April of 1983, 
Casablanca Records made this single available in March as a way of marketing the film to target the audience that they wanted to attract. The unexpected success at the box, the box office resulted in stores across the US selling out of both the single and its parent album just days after the movie was in theaters. The song spent six weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and it topped the charts around the world. It was awarded gold certification by the Recording Industry Association of America for sales of 1 million copies. And it won the Academy Award and Golden Globe for best original song. And it earned Irene Cara the Grammy Award for best female pop vocal performance. Here she is, the original Coco in the movie Fame with Flashdance, what a feeling. I can still watch this movie to this very day after all these years. <laughs> and when we come back, I will get into today's topic. Cause when there's nothing but a slow that your fear seems to hide deep inside your mind. All alone, I have cried silent tears full of pride in a world made of steel.
Okay, Village, so today I'd like to talk with you about obesity and mental health, understanding the connection. Now, more than 40% of adults in the United States, which is more than 93 million Americans, are obese. That's two out of every five that are living with obesity, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In addition to that, over 71% of adults are considered overweight. So let's be clear, kings and queens. You kings out there need to understand that this is not a problem that impacts the queens alone, but that everyone from you kings to my queens out there, to my young kings and queens in training, as well as our teenager population have been struggling with this most serious issue. It's time that we stop judging and criticizing one another and stop allowing our ignorance and misconceptions about weight lead our understanding of what's at play and talk about what lies beneath the issue. What some people may not realize is that obesity can also take a toll on your mental and emotional health, making daily activities like socializing, dating, and even traveling more challenging. Taking steps to lose weight by making lifestyle adjustments could help ease the mental and physical burden associated with the condition. But let's talk about the emotional toll of obesity. We need to understand all of the social, physical, and mental components of obesity. So in other words, what are some of the ways beside the physical, right, that obesity can take a toll on us? Well, anxiety, for example, it's a, a mental health issue that affects about 19% of U.S. adults each year. And it's thought that obesity may raise your risk for the condition. In an October 2016 study of nearly 76,000 adults between the ages of 18 and 85 years of age, it found that obese adults are more likely to be diagnosed with anxiety than those who are a normal weight. The social stigma that's placed on individuals, which may make them feel uncomfortable in their own skin, is something that <laughs> is, is damn near unbearable. Unbearable, if, if, if I'm being honest. Obese people may fear being humiliated by doing things like just going to the mall, working out at the gym, or flying, right? Where they may have to request a seatbelt extender or being asked to purchase two airline seats. Imagine how that would feel if it was you. How embarrassing, right? How humiliating. Anxiety disorders are frequently associated with depression, which affects about 16 million U.S. adults each year. And in fact, roughly 43% of adults with depression are also obese, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. People affected by depression feel sad or hopeless and might lose interest in activities they once enjoyed. They may also be irritable, restless, have trouble sleeping, and lose interest in activities, again, that they once enjoyed. I said it twice because sometimes we happen to like take things personally where we don't understand what people are actually battling, what people are actually dealing with. And quite frankly, sometimes it's just not about you. Sometimes the individual could be struggling in more ways than you ever even realize, right? 
sometimes people don't feel good about themselves because they're fatigued and they can't get around to do what they want to do, suggests Dr. Michael L. Green Jr., who's a medical doctor and who's the bariatric director with Medical City Fort Worth in Fort Worth, Texas, right? They can be short of breath from walking, so they become depressed because they can't even do the smallest thing, all right? Now, how does weight affect relationships? Well, your weight along with the emotional toll of being obese may impact your relationships with those who are closest to you, your family and your friends. Anxiety and depression can make a social activity less desirable. Just leaving the house may be a challenge. This can cripple your ability to grow and maintain connections with the people that you love. See, it's more than just about looking at someone and saying, oh my God, they're fat. Oh, they should just stop eating, right? It's time that we stop doing that because we don't know what that person is dealing with any more than we know a person who's not overweight is dealing with, right? So why add to the problem by making a person feel worse about themselves? Now, your intimate relationships may suffer as well. You may experience feelings of inferiority, which is all related to your weight. It's gonna make you less likely to date or go on dates in public. It's going to cause you to accept less than you deserve or it'll keep you in an unhappy relationship. And it definitely will impact your performance with intimacy. Physically, excess body weight can lower your libido, as well as a man's risk for erectile dysfunction, which can also make things quite difficult. I mean, these are things that we have to talk about. You have to have an understanding of what lies beneath and how it can really affect you from all aspects. And this too can contribute to anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem. So we need to develop village and understanding about obesity. It is a chronic and misunderstood health condition with struggles and impacts that go beyond the weight itself. And that's something that quite honestly, I myself who have been struggling with weight throughout my whole life, on and off, on and off, you know, lose it, gain it, lose it, gain it, to recognize that sometimes it's not about the weight itself, right? You hear people, if you're if you're listening, talk about the weight that they had to lose before they even got to the physical weight. So sometimes you might have to ask yourself this question, why don't you love yourself? Why don't you like yourself? And why is it that you think you don't deserve the very best. What is at the root, in other words, of your pain? Because in my opinion, I think obesity can be a manifestation of pain, as well as numerous other reasons that it exists. But I also believe that that's something too, that we're never really thinking about, that we're never really considering, right? So, Along with that, here's some other things to consider, right? After losing weight by reducing calories, the body tries real hard to put those calories back on, right? Making you feel hungry all the time. There's one study that found only 55% of people with obesity receive a formal diagnosis. 
the results from a quantitative survey in the study of over 3,000 adult patients with a BMI, which is a body mass index of 30 or more. And it's based on their height and their weight. <clears throat> but what am I saying? I'm saying that if you have a BMI of 30 or more, you apparently are considered obese, right? Now, when you think visually about what you consider obese people to look like, you just might be surprised that you might be included in that number. And even though you may look visually skinnier or smaller, it could be misleading. You see what I'm saying? Like there's so much to consider about this, right? It's not just seeing somebody who looks really big and thinking, oh, they're obese. You might be surprised. You might be surprised. 90% of people with obesity struggle to keep the weight off long-term. And what is long-term defined as? Well, it's losing at least 10% of initial body weight and maintaining that loss for at least one year. Worldwide obesity, not just you, not just me, your partner or your family member, your friend or your coworker, right? This is a worldwide problem. And obesity has tripled since 1975. And rates here in the US, they're expected to increase, y'all. Now, some studies have shown that genes account for at least 40 to 70% of individual differences in BMI. And it is also said that obesity is associated with 60, 60 health conditions. People struggling with their weight may feel alone and insecure, and they are often on the receiving end of negativity, bias, bullying, whether it's at the grocery store or at work, in the media and on social media. And whether people realize it or not, their weight does not define them. And obesity, it's not something to be ashamed of, but a lot of people are. But you should know that it is a health condition not a character flaw. Now is our moment. Now is our moment to start having open and shame-free conversations about weight and obesity, right? It's all about creating an understanding that obesity can impact the mind. It goes deep. Assumptions and biases that exist around weight can have a real and cumulative impact on mental health and morale people may internalize this weight bias and blame themselves, which then in turn leads to depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem. Remember how I've, I've mentioned to you all before that sometimes, you know, <clears throat> mental health conditions or mental illness doesn't necessarily have to be attributed specifically to chemical imbalance, but there can be external factors that can weigh on your mental health. And if you're not taking care of it, just like with physical health, then you may not feel so good. You may not feel well. It could lead to depression. It could lead to anxiety, right? We have to think about how obesity can impact our body. Weight management. It's not just about willpower. Many factors are also at play within our bodies, including genetics and biology, which can impact how we gain, lose, and regain weight. These factors make living with obesity a unique journey for everyone. 
And it also plays a role in our physical health, which again, is linked to at least 60 other health conditions, right? We got to think about the impact it has on society. With weight bias still existing, it leaves people feeling judged in our society. A society which, which says that if you look like a hanger, basically, that is the standard of beauty. Oh my God, that is gorgeous. The fact that that person looks anorexic and I can see their ribs. Ooh, I want to be like her. Not. Weight bias can be present in most areas of our life, including at work, in a doctor's office, on shows we watch, among friends and family, and more. In addition, factors like socioeconomics and cultural uh, influence can sometimes contribute to further biases. But by shattering these misconceptions, real change will come. And understanding that biology and genetics play a role alongside with diet and other factors. Then it's about putting a spotlight on the need we have for better care and compassion, compassion from everyone, from your family, from your friends, coworkers, strangers, and even doctors. I'm going to tell you guys a story. Speaking about family, you know, as a kid, when you think about your family, you think about a group of people who have your back, who are there to take care of you, love you, protect you, so forth and so on, right? And 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 they're like unique to you versus the rest of the world, right? And so you're you're looking at these these people, this unit, if you will, as you know, um, a positive thing always. But sometimes things happen within a family that are not so positive, right? So as I've gotten older, I started to recognize that family is a group of people. <laughs> it's made up of people, people who will like you, dislike you, who will be happy for you, maybe not so happy, who can be joyous, who can be critical, any number of things, right? And sometimes they just might say things to you that can be hurtful and harmful to you. And I remember a time sitting around the kitchen table and you know, this family member, their name shall remain nameless. We were talking about a situation that was happening and I can't quite recall everything about it. And I think once I tell you what this person said to me, you may understand how I blocked out everything else and just sort of like focused on their comment. Anyway, we're talking about, I think a person that was giving another family member some difficulty. And this family member, one of our senior members, turned and looked at me and said, well, if we get you to sit on them, then we know they won't be able to move. Really? Wow. So I can sit on a person and they won't be able to move under my weight. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not skinny, but I'm certainly nothing that can sit on somebody and keep them from moving. But that's what was said to me. Do you know how that made me feel? You know how embarrassed and humiliated I was as other family members were sitting around when that was said to me? And that's family. The ones that are supposed to love you and have your back and protect you and all that jazz. They too can be just as harmful with their speech as anyone else can be, right? But these are the people that we, we look to to, to uphold us and to, you know, give us pos positive messaging. Like I said to you, I own it. 
Weight has always been an issue for me. It's been a lifelong issue and I continue to battle it. And I've lost it, I've gained it, I've lost it and I've gained it, but I didn't deserve that comment. And I can guarantee you that that family member never even thought that that hurt me, never even thought how cruel it was to say something like that because given the conversation, I don't even understand how it even got to that point where I had to physically do anything to begin with, you know? But it let me know how I was perceived, how I was seen, and it was hurtful. So you can imagine then the people that are out there, how and why they could possibly not want to come out or be around people because of that very same thing, right? Now, it only takes a spark to light a fire. So let's ignite a chain reaction that ends the shame and shatters the misconceptions. It's bigger than numbers on a scale. It's bigger than diet and exercise. It's bigger than lifestyle choices. Together as a movement, a community, a society, we can and we will create real change. Now, Queen Latifah is a paid spokesperson for Novo Nordisk Incorporated. And she says, quote, what I hope to do is to start a conversation. I can't do this alone. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. But we can take obesity head on together, unquote. We need to talk about and think about obesity in a different way, with kind hearts and an open, supportive attitude. So on Instagram, you can join at It's Bigger Than to stay connected, right? And then you can also visit truthaboutweight.com for more information about the science behind weight loss and weight regain. As a village and dealing with this and any other serious issue that impacts our communities, bringing awareness to these issues so that we can effectively support one another and hopefully make better choices so that we can thrive together. Well, that's my goal. Can it be yours too? Here's to brighter days.
Just don't even gotta try I like shot a nigga better over time Heard you say I'm not the baddest bitch you like absolutely love Lizzo. And if there was a person that I would love to meet in real life, she would be on my list. Juice is a song recorded by her. And it was released on January 4th, 2019 by Atlantic Records as the lead single from her third and debut major label studio album, Cause I Love You. The single was written by Lizzo, Theron Thomas, Sam Sumser, Sean Small, and Ricky Reed. And the latter also handled the song's production. Musically, it is a retro-inspired funk and funk pop song that is based on a throwback groove. Lyrically, the song discusses self-love, which is what I love about her. And it has been described as a self-esteem anthem. The song received widespread acclaim from critics, some of whom referred to the song as Lizzo's Best. And commercially, the single entered component R&B charts in the United States while also reaching the top 20 in Scotland. You go, girl. The track is certified double platinum in the U.S., gold, platinum in five additional countries. Lizzo's delivery of the song has been described as witty and full of fire. Thank you so much, Lizzo, for giving us a song that we can sing to inspire us to feel better about ourselves, regardless of whatever it is that we are going through or looking like. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for this week's inspirational story. This week's story is called Growing Good Corn. Here's the story. Once upon a time, there lived a farmer who grew high-quality, award-winning corn. Each year, he would enter in the State Farmer's Fair and win a gold award for his exceptionally good corn. The farmer's high-quality corn was praised all around the state. The success story of his exceptional corn reached the ears of a journalist, and he wanted to interview the farmer. 
While he was learning about the agricultural process of the farmer, he discovered that the farmer shared his best quality seeds with his neighbors. Quote, farmer said, how can you afford to share, excuse me, the interviewer said, I apologize. How can you afford to share your best corn seeds with your neighbors when some of them complete, compete with you in the agricultural fair? was totally curious like why would you do that well the farmer answered why wouldn't I sir didn't you know that the wind picks up pollen from the ripening corn and swirls it from field to field if my neighbors grow inferior quality corn cross-pollination would eventually degrade the quality of my corn too if I am to grow high quality corn I must help my neighbors grow a good corn too the farmer's answer made the reporter realize how aware the old farmer was about connections in life. It is the same with our life. Those who choose to live in peace must help others around them to live in peace too. The one who wishes to be loved must first learn to love others too. The one who chooses to live well must help to make others live well too. As the value of a life is measured by the lives it touches, those who choose to be happy must let others find their happiness as the welfare of each is intertwined with the welfare of all. Ooh, what is the moral of the story? My God, my God, my God. Kings and queens, do you know what this is about? Do you understand what this story highlights? It's none other than village mentality. The very thing that my life's work will hopefully inspire us all to remember and incorporate into our lives. I didn't coin the phrase, I'm only encouraging us to understand the importance of it in our lives for ourselves and each other. As human beings, we need to learn to live in harmony with one another as much as it is possible to do so. The Bible says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. The golden rule says that we are to do unto others as we will have them do unto us. In other words, treat people the way that you want to be treated, not the way they've treated you. We have an opportunity to teach as well as to learn. And each and every one of us matters. Each and every one of us matters. And when we learn to understand that, then we all will benefit from it. Not to mention that it can help you to feel better inside. Some of you may be thinking, who is this Pollyanna and what's up with the optimism? Well, first of all, if you know the meaning of the word, there's nothing blind about me. In fact, I see things and feel things very deeply, but I am not superficial by any means. And I know what it means to look at what lies beneath the surface of things. And I always think about the why. We all have emotional blueprints, people that lay out the pain and suffering that we may have experienced in our lives. And at some point, we have to make a decision where we need to do things differently in the spirit of growth and evolution. Village mentality is one of the ways that we'll be able to achieve that. And I will continue to remind all of us about the importance of living our lives through that perspective. This song was released as a lead single from her second studio album. And despite the mixed critical response, the song became a worldwide success, topping the charts in 18 countries. 
It's always interesting to me when the critics will take your effort, but then the world speaks and it changes the whole game. I mean, for instance, the critics said that Beverly Hills Cop starring Eddie Murphy was not good, yet it became one of the biggest successes of his career. At the 30th annual Grammy Awards, this song won for best female pop vocal performance, marking her second win in that category. So at the end of the day, which apparently is supposed to be a phrase that we're supposed to throw out this year, but I'll say what I say, what I wanna say, <laughs> at the end of the day, I guess the takeaway from this can be when you believe in whatever it is that you're doing, do not let any of the naysayers get in your head because somebody out there is in need of what it is that you have to offer, right? Here's Whitney Houston with one of my favorites, I Want to Dance with Somebody, and not just with anybody, but with somebody who loves me. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
she's so low maintenance Don't need no champagne, poppin' entertainment Take her to Wendy's, can't keep her off me She wanna dip me like them fries in her frosty But every now and then when I get paid I gotta spoil my baby with an upgrade Like Applebee's on a date night Got that Bourbon Street steak with the Oreo shake And some whipped cream on the top too Two straws, one check, girl, I got you Bougie like Natty in the styrofoam Squeak, squeaking in the truck bed all the way home Some Alabama jam she my Dixieland delight That's how we do, how we do Fancy like Maybe a little Maybelline, but she don't need it in the kitchen light Radio slows down, box wine, then her updo goes down Ay, Yeah, we fancy like Applebee's on a date night Got that Bourbon Street steak with the Oreo shake And some whipped cream on the top too Two straws, one check, girl, I got you Bougie like Natty in the styrofoam Squeaky squeaking in the truck bed all the way home Some Alabama jam and she my Dixieland delight That's how we do, how we do Fancy like I told you all, <laughs> you just don't know what I'll play on this show. I love all types of music. That was country music singer Walker Hayes. That song, Fancy Like, was released on August 2nd, 2021 from his fifth, his fifth EP, Country Stuff, via Monument Records in Nashville. Now, there was also a remix of the song that I saw, I watched the video, and it was released in September of 2021, and it featured the singer Ketcha. From the first moment that I heard this song, Beautiful People, I fell in love with the down-to-earth spirit of it, and then to see that there's a dance to go along with it, which, by the way, Walker's daughter, Layla, helped with the dance moves, and that was just the proverbial cherry on top of that Oreo shake. You heard me? The song is huge. And he performed it at one of the New Year's Eve celebrations where everyone there, including the singer Sierra, who's known for her own dance moves <laughs> and who was the host for that evening's events, was dancing right along with him. The TikTok video for Fancy Like has received more than 2.4 million likes and 23,000 comments. And it became a popular meme, which led to the song becoming a viral hit. In an interview with CMT, the singer said, quote, 
it's nice to know when you put out something that honestly, I just wrote about my family. There's, there's no pretentiousness there. It's just who we are. When you get to be that honest and the public reacts, it's a real magical thing. And the dances, well, that's just be me being a dad. I mean, that's just how we roll around here. Now that's what I'm talking about. Well, kings and queens, it looks like we've come to the end of another show and the beginning of a brand new year. Hopefully, this evening's music has you dancing into the new year, too. While for some, there may be so many things that you're looking forward to, there are others who may be struggling right now. And so let us do our best to consider them and encourage them where and when we can. All anyone can do is to take it one step and one day at a time. Let us show some empathy and compassion to one another, okay? Now, I do hope that the information provided will be of help to you. Remember, it's always a good idea to do your own research, no matter what the topic is, especially if your life is involved. Thank you all so much for tuning in again this week, and I look forward to being with you all again every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, please be sure to follow Village Mentality on Instagram at villagementality.ckm as in Mary, and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast. You can also catch all episodes of Village Mentality, like I've mentioned before, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, and Breaker. And there's also a link available on Instagram and Facebook, as well as theawakenedlounge.com backslash village hyphen mentality. And just remember that God has got me and he's got you too. Be blessed, beautiful people. And here's to brighter days. Energy so stale in the air. Everybody's running scared We used to be so carefree We used to be so happy we used to have everything we need yeah.